0: And here, without further ado, I hope is Doctor History.
1: Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today?
0: Well, that's not the question. How is your lovely bride?
1: Oh, doing good. Doing
0: good. All right. Uh, good.
1: Okay. Yeah. Everything's
0: good. Well, right now, we've got a little problem with the equipment, and uh, it's not functioning properly, and they're installing new equipment as we speak later on this afternoon. Uh, But what have we got in store for us with Dr. History today?
1: Well, how about we go north to Alaska? Okay. That sounds like a fun place to be right now. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, But I'm going to talk about a uh, disaster that occurred up there uh, during the gold rush days uh, along the Chilkoot Trail. So, here we are, summer of 1897, lots and lots of would-be miners are stepping off the ships in the Alaskan ports of Dyea and Skagway. Now, while most of them thought that the hard part of the journey was over, they were in for a pretty rude awakening. 600 long, hard miles separated the docks from the Klondike Goldfield. So to tackle those 600 miles, the newcomers had to choose between the trail in Dye, which is known as the Chilcot Trail, and the Stradway Trail. So there's two ways to go. Now, the 33-mile Chilcot Trail was actually 8 miles shorter, but it was also much steeper. Now the promoters of the Skyway Trails uh, a toll road and they claimed it was a wagon trail, but uh, you know the Kilcote was not in any way a wagon trail. But uh, anyway, the Kilcote Pass was much too steep for a horse or a wagon, so the Kilcote was called the Poor Man's Trail because most of these gold miners and hunters they didn't have horses, they didn't have money to hire horses, and so it was uh, the toll for the Skyway Trail was too much. So, a lot of them decided to take the, the cheap route, the Chilcot path, which, as we go along here, you'll see that maybe that wasn't a good decision. Now, because the Klondike River was in Canada, the Gold Hunters had to cross the border where Canadian Mounties required everyone to have a year's worth of food and gear. So, about 2,000 pounds. So, a Klondiker's gear and food was called his outfit. And it took about 20 trips to pack all of this from the start of the trail to the Canadian line. Now, the packers for hire were available in Dié, but the majority of those on Chilcot just did their own thing. They moved their own outfit. Now, most men carried 85-pound loads. And get this, women were there, too, and they typically packed about 35 pounds. Now, a Klondiker needed a good traveling partner to guard his gear and food while he went back to get the, to the beginning of the trail for another load. Now, in some cases, traveling partners were spouses, children, uh, other people just met others along the way and they just partnered up. And so, those great big piles of supplies laying on the beach I mean, they had boxes, wooden boxes, flower sacks, tools, stoves. And actually, there were a few piles that had a sign that said, Outfit for Sale, Cheap. <laughs> So some of them didn't even get started before they were willing to sell out. Oh, my. Uh, and to any of our l- listeners that ever get up to Skagway, there's a little museum in Skagway you can go into, and they have a replica of a man standing there with uh, supposedly 2,000 pounds worth of his gear. So if you get there, go in to see that little museum, and you can see uh, uh, what... 2,000 pounds a year looks like.
0: Okay, so. all right. Now
1: the Chilcot Trail wound steadily up toward through the woods and the hikers, they had to watch their feet. Uh, they followed the beaten trail in the snow and taking care not to bump into the person in front of them. And if they were lucky, they made it to a place called Canyon City in one day. Now there they pitched the tent and went to sleep. And from Canyon City, it was about another five-mile trek to the next tent city, which was called Sheep Camp. And then another three steep miles to what they call the scale, where an actual scale hung from a like a teepee-like frame, so people could uh, weigh their gear. But here, people who had hired packers in A had to weigh their supplies again, because the packers charged additional money to carry loads beyond this point. And you know, scattered about on the ground were all kinds of things that uh, uh, people decided they weren't so important, like even fine china rocking chairs the doorknobs stuff that you know pretty soon when you're carrying that much you think you know I just don't need these nice dishes these nice, mm-hmm. nice dishes so from the stairs the hikers could look up at the golden stairs of the Kilcook Pass and Deb I, I have showed you pictures and I think you've seen uh, pictures of that uh, stair step the golden stair step yes uh, you?
0: yes I have and I wouldn't even attempt to try to go over that
1: oh you know it, it was uh, they had places where you could step out and rest but the problem with that is if you stepped out to rest it might be an hour or two hours before there was a break for you could get back in line uh-huh. so uh, yeah it, it was rough so Uh, This might be a good time for a break if you want to do
0: that. All right, I'll do that. Thank you very much. And, of course, Dr. History is brought to you by Minicash Sales. I can't say enough about how nice these people are and how knowledgeable these people are at Minicash Sales. For all your lumber packages, if you're remodeling your house, remodeling a room, doing some work out in the garage, and they've got all the shingles, the metal or the asphalt, and also all the carpet, and they've got all the western windows, save on your heating and cooling bills, all of this and more with Zach and the crew at Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. Number to call, 878-2091. Also, I want to remind you that Minidoka County Sheriff Eric Snarr urges you to go vote today. It's your patriotic duty. Use it. Don't abuse it. Get to the polls. They're open all the way till 8 p.m. tonight. Go and vote in the primary election today. That's paid for by Minidoka County Sheriff Eric Snar. And now back to Doctor History.
1: Okay, still up here in Alaska. Now you got to picture this coming through the trees and woods, one thing, or another, and then you look up at this mountain that you've got to climb. It was not for the faint of heart. Now, and I'm guessing that there's a few guys that may have looked at that and decided, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm going home. So. But anyway, the, the stairs were a series of steps cut into the ice of the mountainside, and it stretched upward for a thousand feet. Now, about every 20 steps, there was an ice bench where travelers could stop to rest and to catch their breath. As I said, uh, there was such a lineup that you might, you might not get back in line for an hour or two hours. So, Now, there was a man that stood at the bottom of the stairs, and he collected the toll. So you did have to pay to go up there. And it was he who had cut the steps in the ice, and he would recut them after every snowstorm. So if you talk about somebody that took advantage of the situation, this guy did. And probably made more money than most of the miners that he helped get up up the mountain. But uh, there were also guys that were too cheap to pay the toll, and they were free to go try to cut their own steps on the path. But it was so slow that pretty much all of them inevitably returned to the golden staircase. Now, at the top of the stairs, the Klondiker would drop his load, then he would slide down the mountain, pick up more of his belongings, and do it again, get back in line. Now, if a climber was strong, he could make two or three trips a day up that golden staircase, but he would need to make at least 20 trips to haul all of these things up to the top. Now, once there, the Canadian Mounties, they checked his outfit, and if he had the required 2,000 pounds of food and gear, they would let it enter the Yukon now from that point it was 16 more chilly miles of Chilford Trail to the first Canadian lake and once on the lake the life of a Klondiker did become a little bit easier Uh, he stopped hiking and hauling and started building a boat that would hopefully carry him uh, the remaining 560 miles to the Klondike now believe it or not there was a man very enterprising who uh, actually hauled the gear, the motors, whatever he needed, up to that lake and actually built a steamboat to ferry the miners back and forth across that lake. And I can't imagine how heavy that must have been to carry all that gear to build a boat up there. So, anyway, uh, the summer of 1897, this is uh, really a lot of gold fever going on and the Chilcote Trail was crowded. Uh, the traffic on the trail slowed down as summer kind of turned to fall and then early winter but it picked up again in March of 1898 so here we are 1898 thousands of hikers hoped to be at the Canadian lake and have a boat built before the lake ice broke in May so they could head on down the river now though at first it might uh, seem kind of insane to attempt to choke it when snow covered the rock it was actually a better choice because the trail was incredibly rocky in the summertime but the winter snow made it smoother and actually they could even pull a sled over the lower part of the trail in the winter time and this didn't melt until May now several enterprising folks have begun to make a living off these travelers and so believe it or not restaurants and hotels actually sprang up along the trail now as you can imagine too the food was probably not all that great accommodations Again, probably not all that great. So. But the mer- merchants charged and received a lot of money from uh, from these uh, miners. Now, some of the more frugal hikers, they walked on past the restaurant. They set up their camp, stove, cooked the beans, boiled the dry apples and their fried dough. And uh, as you can imagine, this diet, however, was hardly enough to fuel the body for uh, all the hard work they were doing. But they, they kept going a lot of them. Now, the tired hikers stumbled onto uh, snow-covered boulders. Now, just think of this. A lot of them uh, might twist an ankle, sprain an ankle. They might break a leg. Uh, Old people pushed their hearts until they burst. They just died from heart attack. Uh, One guy, who was a thief, uh, shot himself rather than be caught by an angry mob. Now, another thing, hiking partners argued until they broke up splitting their outfits to the point of cutting their tent in half. And at least one marriage ended on the trail, which uh, I'm not surprised. (laughs) But, uh, you know, there were small dramas that happened every day. uh, The season passed without a major disaster. Well, that was about to change. So heavy wet snow fell on April 2nd, 1898, covered the piles of food, the pack, the tent city at the bottom of the pass, now the native packers they called this in their uh, native la- language high U snow, which basically means high snow. And so the next morning they refused to pack up the seat, choke the path. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. They knew that the fresh snow would be uh, not stable uh, on the old snow, and it could all come sliding down. In fact, they they put up signs cautioning the people not to hike. Uh, but, you know, the morning after the snowfall, uh, several of the restless men decided to ignore the warning and take advantage of the traffic-free conditions on the stairs. So they, you know, looked good. There was not many on there, so I thought, hey, we can just lift up there a lot faster. So there's quite a few people who decided to take the risk. Okay. Well, after the sun rose, they put on their backpacks and made a dash up the Golden staircase. Now, as they climbed, their boots slapped the ice their voices lifted and carried along the trail, along the wall, and no one will ever really know if it was a noise that made it or the weight of the steps on the great uh, wall of ice that somehow dislodged a huge mass of heavy snow at the top of the path.
0: Ooh.
1: Well, from the top, from the cornice, then the entire wall of snow tumbled down the slope, sweeping the climbers off the wall, burying them as well as all the people sleeping in their tents at the bottom. Now, the slide, they, they described it a race like thunder. There were people screaming. Uh, the powder settled and the snow quieted, but there were still the moans and the wails of victims. Now, those who had managed to avoid the buried uh, came running, and they had shovels and started digging. And, you know, I, I've talked to other people that have tried to dig out people uh, in a, an avalanche, and they say that snow is just hard as cement sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. digging had to be really hard but uh, the word spread along the trail and actually a doctor was among the several hundred who raced to the rescue uh, from a sheep camp and all who came brought shovels and picks. Uh, the first person the doctor dug out was actually a woman who was buried upside down. Her head was down in the snow. And once she got free, she shook and cried without stopping and similarly, uh, many of those dug out that were alive were, even though they weren't hurt they were shaken with fear and cold and as you can imagine they'd seen death and they'd lived now throughout that day uh, survivors uh, were found all day long they told rescuers that actually the porous old snow had allowed them to breathe okay but it was so stiff and hard that they couldn't even move a finger so most of those rescues said they had slept in the snow and others had talked the entire time uh, shouting for help and Praying for help. Uh, so, did you know it was a full two days after the avalanche they actually found an ox who was found in a snow cave, calmly standing there chewing its cud. Oh my! There's a lot ox survived, but no human survivors were found after the first day. And they continued digging, but but the rescue mission had become a recovery mission, and uh, the dead, some frozen, in the act of running were piled on sleds. One string of sleds held 17 bodies. Mm. A sheep camp cabin became a storage place for the bodies. And while friends and strangers tried to decide what to do with them, some of the bodies were never identified, and even the number of victims was unclear. And they figured anywhere from 49 to over 70 uh, were killed. Whoa. Some bodies were slanted back to Die and... Traveling partners sometimes took their dead friends and family members home for burials, but there were so many bodies were buried in the Diey Cemetery that it became known as the Slide Cemetery. Let me... now, a few unidentified bodies were buried in a shallow grave near the scales uh, until the summer snow melted and uncovered them. And that summer, Chilkoot uh, hikers were met by kind of a pretty gruesome sight uh, as the ice along the trail melted. There were arms and faces that were being uncovered out of the snow. And in all, seven new bodies were found that summer. Oh, my. But the, the great slide scared a lot of people away from the Chilcut Trail, and some of them having seen the horror of this, they returned home. A lot of newcomers chose to go with the other trail, the Skagway Trail, thinking it was safer. And slowly the Chilcut Trail kind of faded from use. But if you go up there today, the U.S. National Park and you know, Service and Parks in Canada, they watch over the trail. And you can actually hike, you need a permit, but you can actually hike for three days on this 33-mile. Um, and you can see uh, busted sleds, horse skeletons, worn out boots, uh, broken china. And a few years back, I actually uh, hiked the very first part of that for about three or four miles, and uh, I, I can see how hard that had to have been for these people carrying you know anywhere
0: from fifty to a hundred pounds yeah now let me ask you a couple of questions here dr. History, from the actual staircase, how long were the uh, how long was the distance from the beginning to the end of the staircase and has it been estimated how many steps were on the staircase well they
1: say it was a thousand feet so i you know I'm going to guess that you know, uh, uh, at least a foot per step, what do you think, or 18 inches, uh, somewhere like that, so I'm going to say 800 to 1,000 steps to to get up to the top.
0: All right, now, what was the time that it took with the packs and the extra weight, etc., from the time they put their first foot on the first step, what was the estimated time that it took to finish climbing up the staircase?
1: You know, I couldn't, I did not find that anywhere. And I'm thinking it was had partly to do with uh, how crowded it was that day. But and again, I you and I both seen pictures where they're just one behind another, just back to back. Yeah, so I'm thinking you couldn't go any faster than the guy at the top of the hill.
0: Yeah, now you
1: mentioned down. You
0: had to slow down. Yeah. Now, you mentioned also in your story, and I've only got a couple of minutes left, but you mentioned in your story that some enterprising people decided to build businesses, restaurants, and even sleeping quarters on the trail itself. I mean, the cold must have been incessant. How in the world did they ever keep warm and keep from freezing to death?
1: You know, I, that's this is the first time I've heard that they actually had some restaurants and and uh, uh, hotels, if you want to call them that, uh, at the bottom there along the trail. And uh, again, the food could not have been very good. And I'm thinking these were not heated hotels. <laughs> uh, you know, <clears throat> I guess if they had a uh, cook stove. You know, there might have been some rooms that were warm, but I'm betting where the people slept wasn't any warmer than if you were out in the tent. Yeah.
0: Just guessing. And I just, I've seen the pictures that you brought here to the studio one time of this staircase and the mass of humanity climbing up that hill. What was, when you got to the top, what was on the other side? Did they have a declining staircase on the other side?
1: No, it just kind of leveled out and then headed down to, towards this lake. And I can't remember the name of the lake, uh, but anyway, it was a big lake, and then that also followed down uh, the Kondike, uh River down to Dawson City. So if they could get a raft of some kind built, uh, then some of them actually floated down pretty uh, pretty easily to get to, to Dawson City and where, the, where they're actually doing
0: the mining. Wow. Well, listen, uh, our very best to you and your lovely wife. Now, hopefully, you'll be here in the studio next week. Is that correct?
1: I think that'll be, I, I, I should be there.
0: <laughs> All right. Excellent story this morning. And the very best to you, Dr. History. And thank you very much for being on the program this morning. Thanks, Doc. You have a good day, Zach. All right, sir.